proving that Englishmen and Australians don't always have to be throwing things hard at each other, this is Hand of Pod. We're not a bleeding cricket match. Episode of Hand of Pod. I'm Sam Kelly, and here with me, in what you might have noticed is a very much quieter surroundings than normal. We'll explain in a minute. Uh, Dan Edwards of Goal.com. Hello. And Dan Colasimone of Argentina Football World. Hello. We're recording in my kitchen uh, <laughs> this week, rather than on Dan Edwards' lovely terrace in the sun, because there isn't very much sun. It was absolutely peeing down with rain, and uh, Dan's got to be somewhere else shortly afterwards. We're currently also uh, waiting, looking at the television and wondering, because we've got the television on mute since we're recording, why Vélez Sarsfield against Tigre, the final match of the 16th round of the 16th round, the 16th round of the Torneo Apertura, has been postponed for 50 minutes. It was supposed to kick off at 10 past 7, but it's now kicking off at 8 o'clock. No, and, if it, and if it seems a bit strange that they're playing a game with, they're playing a game on Tuesday, let's explain. Basically, this weekend in Argentina, they've managed. Uh, stretch out the fixtures for no discernible reason that I can see for five days. They started on on Friday night and yeah, a good good 120 hours later we're going to finish. That's some excellent, very quick mental arithmetic. Though. It could also <laughs> very well be wrong. Yeah. And not only that, we're starting the next round in exactly one day. Yes, for some peculiar reason. Olimpo uh, Bahia Blanca and Arsenal de Sarandi uh, playing each other tomorrow afternoon at 5 o'clock and then the rest of the 17th round will be taking place as normal stretch between the 3rd which is Friday evening and Sunday evening so there are going to be no Monday matches next week yeah. very interesting any crazy good fun yeah. from yes. AFA and, and what it essentially means is that we as uh, diligent Argentine football scribes don't get a single day off <laughs> watching football every day yeah it's it's a nightmare of a job yeah but someone's going to do it and we're doing it so that you don't have to just remember that dear listeners um, on which note in fact we're now going to begin at the natural starting point I guess which would be to discuss the, the matches that we saw this weekend it's been a quite an interesting weekend in terms of the Copa Libertadores promotion spots for next year in terms of the relegation battle and indeed potentially particularly depending on the result of the match that's taking place shortly after we finish recording this um, for the title race as well any real talking points from either of you two from the weekend's matches that you saw? Well I was in uh, the stadium of Banfield on Saturday night uh, watching my beloved Racing in the away end and we did very well, we got through 2-1 in a game that it seemed to have draw written all over it and I think that almost would have been a fair reflection of the play basically the game was very tense um, both teams had a lot of chances and it was decided in a crazy five or six minute spell when there was three goals. Three very well taken goals, I might add. Racing took the lead through uh, Gabriel Lauci, and then yeah, Banfield hit straight back, and then finally for us, Claudio Biello, who basically came to us as 
top scorer in the Copa Sudamericana, top scorer I think in the Libertadores for Liga de Quito, and he just hasn't really been scoring. He went a good 10 games without scoring for us, and he was a very happy fellow when he smashed the ball in on, on Saturday. It was a beautifully set up goal as well, was it? It was Giovanni Moreno who got the. Uh... I believe so, yeah. I know Terenza set up the first one, and yeah, Moreno with a little bit of help from the, from the Banfield defender got it through for the second. Yeah, it was, it was crazy watching that match on television. I was sort of, I was talking on uh, Facebook chat to another friend of mine who's a racing fan, and uh, half paying attention to the first half and half not doing as you inevitably do when you've got the laptop on your, on your, uh, on your lap, and are watching football. Um, you end up sort of flicking between the two, and then suddenly, in the space of those four minutes, it seemed like the world was going a bit crazy. You just you wonder whether it was going to finish 7-6 at one point but unfortunately that was that was it no. but it was a really good match to watch all the way through I think us in uh, Ressingham were probably fairly happy it didn't finish 7-6 because 2-1 was was enough enough suffering for us nerve-wracking enough it was nerve-wracking yeah I mean for people who don't know being a fan of Racing is a pretty it's a pretty brutal job it's all about suffering isn't it it's all about suffering it's all about the highs and lows Exactly, that's, 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 that's what makes it fun, yeah. The illusion and disillusion, every week it changes. Every year, know. every season. Exactly. <laughs> but, and no, I think one of the most entertaining parts of that particular trip was the, the trip that, to and back from the stadium, because for those not familiar with Buenos Aires geography particularly, Banfield is just outside the city itself in the province in uh, Conorbano, as they call it, in a fairly... Fairly sketchy area, it's not a place you want to hang around too much after dark or even in the day. And it's a fair distance for us, but we managed to get there super quickly because we actually managed to put ourselves in the middle of the caravan of coaches taking the Barra Bravo of Racing. <laughs> you know, police escort and everything. And so red lights became meaningless. And we just flew past him, my mate Juan's car, just past everything. We had uh, my other friends just in the back, kind of crazily shouting, No respete los semáforos, no respete los semáforos, dale, dale. And it was, it was all pretty Which fun. means ignore the, uh, ignore the lights. Pretty much. Yeah. And kind of passing about an inch every time from the bus and their wing mirrors having these kind of big tattoo ratting fans kind of look at you until they realise you're actually singing along with them. Yeah. It's all about, you know, the, as they call it, the folklore here and the fun of going to the gang. It's, you know, a fun day out. Well, I kind of uh, just spent the weekend in my apartment uh, drinking in the dark. But Sam, you went to a game, didn't you? So <laughs> I did indeed. I went to because it's been a good long time since uh, I last had my nerves shredded and felt the need to scream obscenities of incompetence. I decided to go along to River Plate versus Olimpo, um, setting up my lechoneda because I was at a, a barbecue with a bunch of friends beforehand. Uh, so covering pretty much all of the distance from south to north of, of Greater Buenos Aires, or so it felt, particularly in the heat. And it was a fairly dire match to watch. <laughs> it was, it was, that's it was, kind of been the pattern for River this year. Exactly. And, and, and I was struck by the fact that it's not really mattered too much uh, who the managers are at any point during the season. I mean, obviously, Hota Hota, JJ, J Hota, Hota J, whatever we're going to call it. Whatever you want to call it. Um, has started off really well with, with a win in the Super Classico followed by last weekend's draw and now another win against a fellow relegation candidate but the performances at times have just been nerve-wracking and it was I, I saw the end I, saw the, I think I saw the whole second half and it was quite hilarious how you guys suffered at the end there 
It was, yeah. Against um, Olimpo, a team that. How many points does Olimpo have? Olimpo. Uh, they're not doing too badly, I don't think. They're not doing too I'm just going to look this up very Mainly. quickly. They're, they're 16th, they've got 14 yeah. points. Which for a newly promoted side isn't. Isn't, uh, but in the table that terrible. matters for them, they're in the automatic relegation mm. spots with but anyway, 0.875 points per match. It was a pretty typical game from River this season where they, they sort of dominated possession and um, created some sort of half chances, but they couldn't actually manage to score. And then got to the last four or five minutes. It was, I think it was four, four or five minutes of injury time. And Olimpo ended up with some fantastic chances. Mm. And River was basically saved by uh, Cariso, right? I believe so. Yeah. I, mean, I didn't happen to catch the game because it was a beautiful sunny afternoon in Buenos Aires. And I, um, I had an announcement. I actually went to play football on that day, you know, not just watch wow. it. And I must admit, since Sunday, it's now Tuesday, and my legs still do hurt like hell. But it was good fun. But So I didn't catch the match, but I saw some of the interviews. And yeah, Cariso, he's been a bit of a surfer. River this year, like I think without him, they'd be uh, a lot worse. As they, as they say, he's definitely worth a lot of points for that team. Uh, he's an international. For me, he's an international class keeper. Well, um, well, no I'm a, uh, my, my team in Italy is uh, is Lazio. Probably my team, I would say, is, is Lazio. And uh, I was I was very surprised when I, when he went to Italy. I thought he would he would be worth a lot of points for Lazio as well. I thought I thought uh, he'd definitely thrive over there. But I think he was a bit too a bit too eccentric for the for the Italian game. Mm. Um, yeah, he's he's got a bit too much of an ego. I I think he's he's a fantastic goalkeeper, but he didn't get on well with uh, with any of his clubs in Europe at all. But having said that, he's the, the reason that River won the last league championship that they won um, before he he went to Europe was essentially because of him, as much as because of Ariel Ortega and Diego Bonanotte, who combined brilliantly in the league as well. Um, and this season he's proving to be worth just as many points and he pulled off an absolutely brilliant save with about a minute to go uh, which denied Olimpo what I think would have been an undeserved draw because on the balance of play River were dominant but then it's the problem that River have had for most of the season which is that they're dominating but they don't manage to put the bloody thing in the net enough um, so many matches and they should just they should kill off uh, the, the Independiente game, which was the I think the first River home game I went to this season, um, was a case in point, which was in about the second or third round, where they ended up winning 3-2. But they really should have been 5-0 up at half-time, with the amount, number of chances they had, and you know any team with any kind of clinicism in front of goal would have scored more and put the game to bed. And they're not able to. But the Olimpo goalkeeper, Laureano Tombolini, also pulled off during the first half what I thought was an even better save than Carrizo's right to the death which was uh, there was a point when Mariano Pavone the river striker sort of turned his defender had a shot from really close in and uh, Dombolini managed a, a good save but the ball then sort of spurted free to Ariel Ortega who shot from a fairly narrow angle but inside the six yard box and everybody in the San Martin which was the platea that I was in the stand immediately across from the television cameras for those of you who might have been watching on television or, or on internet streams were throwing their hands up already because we all thought that the ball had gone in and somehow I've got no idea how Tombolini managed to keep it out and I've, I've not seen a replay of it since but it was an incredible save it was just brilliant but the um, the, the problem that River have or, or rather not so much the problem but something that's a good illustration of their problems for me is that Matias Almeida and Ariel Ortega who are the two 
oldest players on the pitch. I think they had seventy-two years between them. Yeah, I mean Almeida's is thirty-seven and, and was retired, retired completely for two years, but effectively retired for four years before he came back for River um, earlier this year or, or last year. And um, I was, the fact that those two are the two yeah, most important now. Sort of watching players. the game with my girlfriend, uh, with in commas, as in she was sitting there while I was watching the game, and I said, <laughs> I think uh, Almeida had a quite a good moment where he's kind of like had a little burst of pace and had a shot from long, long distance and, mm. and I said something about oh wow this guy's like 100 years old and look what he's doing and she said who and I said Almeida and she's what not Almeida the, uh, the same Almeida as always and I was like yeah that's him and she's like he's still playing he's still playing for River but then I think to be fair to Almeida like yes he has been one of River's best players which says whatever you like about River but also he's been one of the Primero's best players this year if you look at the all important Ole rankings which are essentially kind of gospel here He's the fourth best, I think, overall well, in the games he's played. Rivers' sort of run of losses coincided with, with yeah. his injury, so that, that tells you a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's a run of a run of draws in a way. I was looking at the league table the other day because I was um, updating the spreadsheets that I used to to update the tables on my blog, um, and it's the first time all season I've realised that in spite of you know River are in such bad form. They've only lost three matches of, of the 16 that they've played now. And it's really the, the previous seasons that are dragging them down and adding that pressure on and making them feel like they're having a worse season than they are. But in terms of the, the Apertura standings, they're in sixth, they're level on points with Racing. And, I mean, Dan, you... As well, a Racing fan, you're aware that yeah. Well, we basically consider that. Believe how well you're doing. Well, we consider that we're having a good season, yeah. But then again, we had a pretty good class order, which means we're at the un- other end of the table, fighting for the Libertadores. Of course, yeah. Well, you've got say Godoy Cruz, Racing, River, and and Newell's all within two points of each other. The, the, yeah. the last three I mentioned were on 25, and and Godoy Cruz on 27. Mm. And it's just amusing to if you just listen to the press and what the press was saying or what the fans are saying. The, each of those teams would say that they've had a, a very different season or, or looking at the season in a completely different way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for River, it's supposedly a horrible season. Uh, Godoy Cruz are, are in the clouds at the moment, but basically they're all sort of... They've garnered the same amount of points in the season. Yeah. So it's all, it's all about perspective, I guess. Yeah, and, and of course the different expectations that yeah, you expectations. have when, when River fans particularly are going along to the Monumental and... and also for our non-Argentine listeners I don't think I'm being biased in suggesting that River the fan base of River have a reputation for being sort of the most difficult to please um, in terms of the football they expect and the results they expect but obviously their their results in comparison with Godoy Cruz results particularly who've now need one point in their last three matches to become the first ever team from Mendoza to win uh, sorry to win to win a place in the Copa Libertadores so you're going to have different different perspectives, but I, I guess you've got to think as well about the the type of budgets that each club is operating with. Yeah, uh, yeah, of course. It's interesting what we were saying about Almeida and Ortega earlier because there's no doubt in the in the grand scheme of the Argentine league, these kind of old players that have a very distinguished career in Europe and then return late in their careers to to Argentina, they tend to do very well. I mean, in a lot of the big clubs, these players that will be very familiar to any kind of more than casual football fan. They're still doing the business week in, week out. Well, it's what, their clubs. It's what they, they call the donut effect, right? Where you've got the, the Argentinian league is full of these um, very young and talented up-and-coming players. And then you've got this big gap of the sort of between the ages of 
23 and 28, say, where they, these guys are in their peak years and everybody goes off to Europe. And then you've got the veterans who have come back from Europe. Yeah. And so you've got this big hole in the middle. But oh, you, the donut. I've never heard the donut effect. No. I thought you were just being rude to Martin Palermo. Or Fabiani, but... Um, Let's be easy on Fabiani, come on. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure Fabiani. Is Fabiani old enough to qualify just yet? No, nah, he's, he's, he's still in his 20s, I'm sure. He, he's playing like a 40 year old. Well, um, he has the gut of a 40 year old. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think I've just been unfair to him because whenever he does get on the pitch, he, uh, the, the technique is there. Yeah. Can, we put, can we put a picture of Fabiani up on the. On the podcast, I, I, I well, yeah, for, for our listeners, because I don't know if a lot of people will, will know just how fat this guy is. For, for listeners who, who are listening to this via via iTunes or SoundCloud or whatever, if you go to, to the blog uh, link, which is handofpod.wordpress.com, um, I will endeavour to find a photograph of Christian Fabiani that we can put up. And I remember when the, the three of us went to All Boys Estudiantes. Uh, he's playing for All Boys at the moment. Um, when we went there a couple of months ago, we were. Having all of us seen him on television before, but we were quite struck when he actually took to the pitch. Oh, you see him in the flesh. We were um, blown away. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, going back to the subject of veterans, I, I found when I first got here and, and went to a Boca game a couple of weeks after I arrived that Martin Palermo looks slow on TV, <laughs> but when you see him in real life, glacial. It, yeah, it, it's it's incredible. And in fact, Dan, uh, Australian Dan, and I were having a conversation a month or so ago about we'd like to get a mathematician or a scientist of some sort to try and prove a theory. So if anybody's listening, please write in. I, I, I'm convinced that Palermo has a trait known as negative pace, uh, whereby when he gets the ball, the rest of the planet speeds up ever so slightly <laughs> to accommodate just how glacially slow he is, because it's, it's a sight to behold. And, and similarly, Fabiani's fatness is just... <laughs> he, he was twice the width of some of the other players. On well, the yeah, team, the, the funny part is because so many of the Argentinian footballers are little tiny guys, mm-hmm. and... Uh, Fabiani runs out and he's not only is he like he's a even before he got fat he was a huge player compared to you see him beside someone like Buonanotte and he's just massive but now that he's overweight as well he's just I think he would weigh double some of the what the other what the it's other guys an, weigh it's an interesting thing to watch him because invariably when he's um, when he's on the pitch he's not played that much because of injury he's always got about two or three markers around him and you can never be sure if that is because he's quite a creative player, he can um, make a difference to a touch, or if it's just his gravitational pull coming from the face. Yeah. I can see that joke coming from about 30 it's seconds ago. A little bit coming <laughs> yeah. it's, it, it's an advantage in some ways, in a way, because, of course, the, the sheer size of his arse <laughs> does mean that he's got an awful lot to, to put in the way of uh, players who are trying to get the ball off him. And, you know, Raquel knows very good at it as well, sticking his, his bottom out to put his marker further away from the ball but with, well, with, with Fabiani it's brilliant and he always seems to follow it up by knocking it through the guy's legs with, his, with the back of his heel and then running around as well which is hilarious to watch and we could talk about him all day I'm sure but uh, back to the uh, I just wanted to say about some of the these sort of veteran players we were talking about and this guys that come back at sort of just the right time there's guys that for example I would say Palermo fits into this category where he, he went to Europe but he never really uh, hit the heights and, and he sort of ended up coming back which I think why why he came back quite early I think he was in Europe for about two years maybe which is for me was one of the reasons why he's now sort of a historic Boca goal scorer because he's, he's actually been here a lot longer than most guys yeah. whereas you can probably sorry to interrupt but yeah. you can probably put Raquelme in the same category yeah that's true he did you can say he did a lot better than Palermo in Europe but at the same time you always felt like his home was in Boca that was where he really wanted to play he's idolised by the fans my um, 
my colleague at goal, who's a mad Boca fan, says, you know, if you want to name a number 10 that is Boca, don't even think about Maradona because it's Riquelme. Mm. That's the pecking order in, um, in Boca, if nowhere else in Argentina. Well, it's a similar kind of attitude to. Actually, maybe not a similar kind of attitude because Riquelme didn't last very long in Europe, partly for that reason, and I think partly because he's such a prickly personality to get on with that Boca's the only place anybody can put up with him. Um, but of course, Carlos Tevez, who's, who's been in the papers again this week in England, claiming that he wants to retire, which he says every other bleeding week, which is getting quite irritating, I find. Yeah. Um, particularly because people ask me about it every time he says it and don't seem to realise that he says it so frequently. Uh, but he's always said that he'd, he'd like to return to Boca when he's about sort of 27, 28, mm-hmm. or at his peak, and when he can still give them everything that he has to offer. He doesn't want to return when he's 31, 32 and over the hill. Well, for me, um, I think Verón should be the example for others to follow because he sort of... Oh, we have a dog somewhere in the building. Uh, we're, we're following the right place, but, uh, yeah, you can still hear the dogs. <laughs> um, no, Verón, for me, did it perfectly because he, he, he left for Europe quite young and he had a very distinguished career, career in Europe. Um, uh, for me, he was one of the, the best Italian Serie A players in the whole time he was, he was in the Italian league. And then he came back when he, just as his career was fading, and he was sort of a bit of a reserve bench for um, for Inter. And that's when he decided, no, I'm going to go back to the to my hometown club, my, the, the 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 club that, that I love. And uh, he could give some of his best years to Estudiantes, and, and he's been extremely successful. And he's probably uh, his reputation wasn't the best in Argentina after the 2002 World Cup, where he was sort of the great hope, and the, and the Argentinian team. Was, was one of the big hopes for the tournament. It was, it was just after uh, the Argentinian economic crisis. And people had a lot of hope and uh, a lot of faith in Verón and the team. And, and it, was, it was considered that he, he failed and the team failed. And he, I think he got a lot of bad, bad vibes from that back in Argentina. But uh, since, since he's come back and played for Estudiantes, I think people have really appreciated uh, what he's worth as a player and um, what he's achieved for Estudiantes, following in his father's footsteps by winning the Copa Libertadores, playing against uh, Barcelona in the, in the Club World Cup. So for him, for me, he's done the he's done the the perfect kind of transition from going to Europe at a young age, a successful career, and then coming back before he's too old to to make a. Uh, to not make a difference kind of thing. I think I'd agree with you there, Dan. I mean, I must admit that Varane's never been my favourite player. I've never. More kind of on a personal level, not really ever been a fan of his attitude. Really? I love, I love it. It's well, to be honest, because, you know, um, I watched more English football than the Italian when I was younger. Kind of, I remember him from England. He was a bit of a luxury player. He didn't really have that much of an effect either in Chelsea or United. And kind of then you had the attitude. He liked to argue with the referees. I remember the first game actually I saw in Argentina was Argentinos Juniors against Estudiantes. And Argentinos won. And Veron went absolutely loopy at the ref. Everything's going on here, so I'm just, I'm just far off. I, I should have mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that I do live in a zoo. Uh, so you'll have to forgive the background noises. <laughs> no, he lives in a shanty town, that's why. Uh, no, to continue, yeah, I think Argentina scored a very late winner, and Veron wasn't having any of it. It didn't look like there was anything wrong with the goal, right. to my recollection, but you know, he managed to chat to him and chat to the ref and got himself a book in. And, you know, I'll admit, I find it funny. Because, no, it was just funny, it was Veron. But since then, then I, I've grown a lot more respect for him because when he plays in Estudiantes, they're a whole different team. He drives from midfield, he really controls it, and 
he's got some quality players around him. That is a lot of the reason why they find themselves at the top of the table consistently. Yeah, and I think you'd, you'd struggle to find an Estee Adidas fan who has a bad word to say about him as well, oh, because good. quite aside from what he does on the field, he also does a hell of a lot for them off the pitch, mm. what, even whilst he was in Europe earning money that you know 99% of the planet can only dream of. Uh, Sampdoria, uh, Inter Milan, uh, Manchester United, Chelsea, Lazio, Parma, and so on. He was always sending home a, a fairly, you know, not insignificant percentage of his weekly wage to to do things like fund Estudiantes Youth Academy. He he bought an entirely new set of equipment for their gym, um, and it's especially one day that once he hangs up his boots, I don't know whether he's so interested in, in going into management, but it's. Pretty much, yeah. I can almost you know, guarantee it's it. It's an open yeah. secret that that one day he's going to be club president, and even a couple of months ago, Julio Grondona. Uh, what greater praise could you have in Argentine <laughs> football than, than a kind comment from Julio Grondona? Said that he could think of no better successor to himself as the president of the Argentine football. Oh, Association. really? I um, That's a backhanded compliment, if ever I heard. Yes, indeed. He he could do possibly at least as good a job of managing Argentine <laughs> football as Julio Grondona, who. I don't know, have either of you seen the BBC documentary that was broadcast? No, I haven't, no, the Panorama. Yeah, I've, I've not got down, around to downloading it yet, so I can't say for sure whether any of our listeners in Britain would have heard about Julio Grandona on that, but he's, uh, he's a FIFA vice president, and let's just leave it at saying that he's not a very kind man. He's a very By the way, character. although Dan is supporting the uh, Australian bid for the 2022 World <laughs> Cup, Obviously, both myself and Daniel Edwards are fully behind England's 2018 bid. Oh, um, I, I did have a, a question from the mailbag uh, that somebody sent me. Uh, somebody was asking what the Argentinian attitude was to, to the to the vote that's happening in a couple of days. I think tomorrow, it's Tuesday, Thursday. Thursday. Um, I've not noticed the Argentinian attitude. No, I, I sort well, of. Um, I can I can give sort of an answer. Basically. Um, it's not really been discussed much in the Argentine papers, the public, because it's not going to be in Argentina, so it doesn't affect them. Mm. But what the, what the South American Football Association, Comunibor, have decided is all of their votes will be going as a block to Spain and Portugal for 2018. All right. Mm. All right. After some of the Argentinian journalists that I have on my uh, Twitter account, yeah. and uh, yeah. one of them answered, and <laughs> yeah, he told me the same thing. He said, like, nobody really cares. Um, the only attention it's getting is because of this this vote, uh, this bribe scandal. Mm-hmm. But apart from that, he said probably people would prefer it to be in in Spain. But apart from that, nobody's really even thinking about it. Yeah, I'm sure their minds are very much on Brazil. And, and Do we know who's got the third Commebol vote? By the way, I, I assume that one of them is Nicolas Leos, who's the the Paraguayan, who's yeah. the president of Commebol, and uh, another is obviously Grondona. Teixeira, the Brazilian, who was mentioned, I think, quite heavily in the program. I mean, I, I suspect that if England were to win the World Cup voting that, that we would then be going into various bars and when people ask where we are they'd be congratulating us and saying oh it's wonderful because I love English football oh, oh yeah they normally come out yeah Manchester United yeah um, yeah the listeners may be surprised to hear that if you tell people here that you're English and get talking about football the hand of God and and the, the Falkland Islands and so on are not necessarily the first things they say they've often got a lot of very positive stuff to say which often myself and Dan might not always actually agree with in terms of the standing of the Premier League in, in the world and so on and, uh, and I have been called Frank Lampard a few times I must admit oh, I, yeah. I used to get David Beckham when I first started coming here <laughs> because of my tall and blonde haired which was bloody annoying next week we'll do a spot the difference competition between Sam and David Beckham yeah you can judge for yourselves virtually identical uh, yeah. as, as you will see just on Veron uh, there are 
for some reason we seem to mention this uh, old boys Estudiantes game about three times every podcast but when we were at that game and like old boys stadium is, is really tiny and you're, you're about 10 meters away from the players at times so, you know they're right in front of you um, and just the amount of abuse Veron was getting from the old boys fans was I found it fascinating actually the, the sort of the angle that they were taking a lot of the abuse seemed to be based on the fact that he played in England or played in Europe and it was sort of you know this whole thing like I don't know you're a traitor you're like you're not a patriot and um, why don't you go back to England that's where you belong you're, you're, all, you're more English than Argentinian and with a lot of you know extreme swear word thrown in but I, I just found it quite sort of I don't know weird, weird. as if like as if the studio, uh, as if the old boys players wouldn't have gone up to Europe if they'd have had the opportunity I mean a lot of these guys uh, never going to be playing in Europe or anything so it was as if uh, I don't know it was just a weird kind of yeah. perspective well that. the truth is still kind of it's I wouldn't say it's massively unusual but it's still quite uncommon for Argentines to play in, in England they tend to favour Spain true. and Italy because it's a lot of shared heritage I remember it leads us on quite nicely there's another old boy who's kind of still doing very well in the Primera which is um, one Esteban Vichipuertes who had quite a memorable, if short, spell with Derby County a few years back. He was, of course, yeah. you could call him, I don't know if you could call him a trailblazer for uh, Argentines in England, but essentially he got there, he arrived there with some fanfare, started very well, scored some goals in a few games, then they realised actually his passport appeared to be printed on the back of a cigarette packet, his <laughs> Italian passport, so they sent him packing fairly quickly. One other old boy. Uh, rather than all boy, who is not yet mentioned, of course, is is Roberto Ashala. Um, uh, I'm going to hand over to English Dan now because he's quite animated. I think about the fact that the, the great man, <laughs> looks at the former national team defender, the captain of Argentina for such a long time, is going to be playing his first club match of the season, 17 rounds in this coming weekend. Starting possibly, possibly. Well, I wouldn't say animated particularly. <laughs> it's, it's piqued my interest a bit because this guy, Shala, everyone knows him and what he's done in football. And he came into wrestling at the start of the Clausura in January. And I think he came, he wasn't particularly fit, he hadn't played for Zaragoza for quite a while. So he came unfit, missed something like the first four games, came in. Still wasn't particularly fit when, when he came in. And he was, well... He was awful, let's just say that. He looked completely off the pace, he couldn't hold do you know, him up. Do you know how old he is? He'd be 37. He's right 30, 30, he must be 34, 37. No, he's 37. Easy. Yeah, I'm sure. Because I remember when he came into wrestling, one of the first interviews he did, he um, was saying, right, now my goal is to push on and get into the Argentina World Cup squad. Oh, really? <laughs> that, that dream evaporated <laughs> probably about 10 minutes into his wrestling debut, G- to be honest. Given his age, that sounds like a ridiculous uh, ambition, but you have to consider that... <laughs> Martin Palermo made yes, it. Yes, that wow. Ariel Gasset also made it. Yeah, you're yeah. right, he's 37 years old. Yeah. In, in case any of our Anglophone listeners aren't quite entirely sure who we're talking about, it's Roberto, you're probably known as Ayala, but Argentines pronounce the Y as a sh. Who sort of anchored the, the Argentinian defence for a while. Yeah. I mean, he got you know over 100 caps. He's obviously a very good player, but yeah, the problem was he came in at the wrong time. He got into the team at the wrong time, and because he was you know chronically unfit for the for the start, he was dropped fairly swiftly. And since then, we've got uh, Matias Martinez, who a colleague of mine at goal actually labelled the next Franco Baresi. 
<laughs> Which made me laugh a bit because I watch him every weekend, a long way from Franco Lopezzi. <laughs> and Lucas Avendano, who, let's put it finally, he's, he's a donkey, but he's a useful donkey. Mm-hmm. So the two together, pretty much, yeah, they hold the, they hold the defence as well they can. But this week, uh, Barezi or Martinez, as he likes to call it, <laughs> he's actually suspended, so it looks like Ashal is actually going to get his first chance to start in the entire season. After I think one substitute appearance of about 10 minutes and I remember in that particular case we won the game and there's a wonderfully acidic column that comes out in Ole on, mon- on Monday called um, El Contra. Yeah, it's everything printed on, on the back page of the yeah. paper and it's done as an entirely satirical take on what's the stuff that's on the front page of the yeah. paper generally speaking. So this this little piece on the shallow basically said well, Rassi must have been really confident in holding on to the victory if they were prepared to play a shallow. It's almost a disrespect to you. Uh, to your opponents. We'll play a little bit of music and then we'll be back shortly. Welcome back. Um, for those of you who, whilst Dan Edwards was, was talking about Roberto Ashana a little earlier, heard my slightly excited exclamation mark. Squeal. Uh, as it were. Yeah. Uh, it, it wasn't very manly. <laughs> uh, it was because the, the Velas Tigre game has now finally started, and in spite of the fact that they supposedly postponed it till 8 o'clock, <laughs> it's, it's two minutes past 8 o'clock as, as I'm talking now, and it's already 15 minutes in. So, welcome to Argentine football. Um, the goal incidentally was scored by another veteran although not an Argentine veteran um, but the Uruguayan Santiago Silva who turned 30 about three weeks ago and has been with a vast array of clubs and it's worth mentioning because he's probably one of the candidates has to, yeah. to be named the best, the best player in the Apertura he's, oh, yeah, he's, exactly. he's, he's just gone yeah, with this goal today he's just moved he's gone top yeah. Yeah, he's, and we, we talked about him last week he's yeah. a beast and he's a beast we wouldn't like to have a pun with him we'd like to see him play <laughs> That was our conclusions of it. Yeah, that, that was his ninth goal of the season, and in fact his teammate Juan Manuel Martinez is on eight goals. And this is important because, well, Vélez is, is, is trying to keep in touch with, uh, with Estudiantes. Yeah, and if Vélez win this match, which obviously they are doing at the moment 1-0, they're going to be on 34 points, so that will be two behind Estudiantes, who have got yeah. 36. Um, but as we're moving towards the definition of the, of the league title, of course, we're also moving towards the definition of another tournament which frankly I don't think any of the three of us rate all that highly but we feel obliged to say something about it because there's an Argentine club involved um, the Copa Sudamericana final uh, the first leg is played tomorrow evening in the Brazilian city of Guayana if you're Portuguese speaking please don't write in about my bad pronunciation between Goiás, who were relegated from the Brazilian first division a couple of weeks ago but have managed to, to get all the way to the final of this competition all the same and Independiente. We don't, unfortunately, have an Independiente fan with us. We did try and get one in. We might have one for the final. Yeah, we, we might have one to look back on it in a couple of weeks' time, but uh, he's proving elusive, let's say, because we tried to get him last week as well. Yes. We, we do have a Racing fan, Daniel Edwards, uh, with us, <laughs> who, of course, is a supporter of Independiente's main rivals. It, it's not going to be um, too difficult to, to work out who he's going to be supporting tomorrow night and, and following Wednesday. 
but also an interesting little subplot for me to the uh, to the final. And in fact, the the main reason I'm going to be watching it because the Sudamericano is not a competition. I have a lot of sympathy with. I think here they like to call it a Copa de Leche, which yeah. basically translates as a milk cup. And, and especially for for Independiente, who who have won more cup as Libertadores than any other club, they've got seven of them. To be now getting all excited about getting into the final of the Sudamericana is it, it can't feel too nice. But uh, the main reason I'll be paying attention to it, and I imagine most of us will be paying attention to it, is because if Independiente win the Sudamericana, then they get Argentina's fifth place to qualify for next year's Copa Libertadores. And in the Copa Libertadores qualification table, the team currently in fifth are, I think, in Newell's old boys, but the team, what, a point or so behind them are indeed... It will be a blessing, yes. Yes, their local rivals. Dan, presumably, you're going to be cheering on Goyas. <laughs> tomorrow night yeah I'm going to be Brazilian for the night I'm not going to lie to you I think even so if the Libertadores wasn't up for play, wasn't up for grabs obviously my sympathies would be with uh, <laughs> Goyesh but this kind of thing the fact that Independiente could rob us of a place in the um, in the Libertadores obviously there's a long way to go we might not even grab the fifth spot and qualify but if we did happen to qualify and they came through and nicked the place mm. It would, it would be tough. Like. Well, uh, I mean, we, we mock this, uh, this tournament because it deserves to be mocked, but uh, <clears throat> I mean, uh, <clears throat> the closest Euro- European equivalent would be the UEFA Cup, but it's not even like, no, it's, the, it's the like Europa even. League, please. I'm sorry, sorry, the Europa League. Really brave new world of rebranding now. But even in a South American context, it's not as, it's not as interesting as the Europa League. That's how, how crappy it is. But it's, it's for these small clubs like Independiente and Goyesh, yeah. you know. They like to have some silverware. Well, we, as I was saying, we mock it, but I mean, the, the Independiente's whole thing is, is, is winning cups. Uh, for years and years, they were the, the king of the cups because they had more cups than, than, than Boca, than Real Madrid, than, <clears throat> than Milan. And they've only recently been overtaken. By, by teams like Milan and, Milan and Boca, the and Boca team, right? That Madrid might draw level. So yeah, I know a couple of Independiente fans, and I mean they're all about it. I mean for them, another cup is is a fantastic achievement, and, or at least a stepping stone to other things, and, and they just love you know tallying up cups. And I watched the game. Yeah, I watched both legs actually, and it was a very entertaining affair. Mm. Liga de Quito would, would be one of the candidates for the for the best South American team in the last five years. No, this um, is the both legs of the semi-final that we're talking about. Yes. The Sudamericana has a certain amount of sense to it in the clubs from, from countries that traditionally haven't done so well in the Libertadores. I'm not going to say smaller, but the less good uh, teams <laughs> in Argentina or Brazil. Was that supposed to be less offensive? Um, well... It, I think it would be because, frankly, I'd be bloody delighted if River could qualify for the Sudamericana <laughs> next year. Also, River and Boca, of course, until this year, um, always were invited into the Sudamericana, which was just another reason to, to mock it, as far yeah. as I'm concerned, <coughs> because you can't invite clubs purely on, on the basis of the television revenue that they'll bring in. I'd say, I think for me, the thing that really devalues the uh, Sudamericana is the fact that eight Brazilian teams get to qualify. Mm. Um, but they're not the eight best teams by any stretch, I think. They're the 5th through 12th place teams. Of course, in Argentina, I find it almost more ridiculous because a lot of the clubs who qualify for the Sudamericana will be clubs who've also played the, the Copa Libertadores. Yeah, they're the same, yeah. the same um, Whereas, obviously, in Brazil, you get the top... I think it's the top four or the top five, yeah. plus the, the Copa Brasil yeah. winners qualifying for the Libertadores, and then you've got the seven eight or eight entirely different clubs qualifying for the Sudamericana, at least. No. So, so just a brief summary of the, the semi-final over two legs. As I said, it was quite entertaining because you had uh, the first leg, 
Liga de Quito went 3-0 up I think in the first half of the, the first leg yeah uh, Independiente pulled it back to 3-2 and then the second leg you, you watched the game as well didn't you Dan yeah I can't remember it was, the, it, was it, it ended up 2-1 yeah. and uh, again it was a very entertaining game and I was, I was actually quite impressed with Independiente sort of tactically doing a number on Quito and because I, I didn't expect them to win that game they had a terrible start to the season mm-hmm. Um, and they're still, I think, third from bottom, was it? Or yeah, second from bottom. They've had an awful, awful yeah, right. that. They're, they're 18th, they've yeah. won two matches. But luckily, in the yeah, they've had that sort of Medicana to save them. Yeah, and, and this is one thing as well, just going back to the subject we touched on in our first episode, um, which was the fact that next season the league might well be switching to a, a season long championship, yeah. a single one. Is that the, the Apertura Clausura division almost allows, and, and as well, of course, as the three season long relegation mm. table, which is something that's not changing, which is bloody ridiculous it, it almost allows clubs to not bother concentrating at all on the domestic campaign it encourages them definitely yeah I mean in, in the history of the short championships uh, the Libertadores is, is played during the first half of the year which is the same half of the year as, as the Torneo Clausura is played in Argentina and no club has ever won the Clausura and the Libertadores in the same year even the, the River Plate team that won three, three championships in in what, two years or something, in 96-97 and, and won the Copa Libertadores in 96, didn't win the 96 Clausura and all of this kind of stuff, which I find unbelievable um, in, in so many ways because Boca had such a great team at the, st- you know, the first half of the decade. River were very strong. Vélez had a very strong team when they won the Libertadores, but none of them have managed to do the Liga and Copa double. It's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, I don't know if that phenomenon would be... Kind of, you could widen it to include all of South America, like the Brazilian teams that have won. I wouldn't know, but you have to take into account as well. Kind of winning the Libertadores in in South America is a whole different kettle of fish than winning the Champions League in Europe. For a start, the travelling distances are a lot greater. I remember when uh, Internacional were playing Chivas in this year's final, and just out of interest, I think I was writing a preview for it, so I looked up looked up the distances. And the distance between Porto Alegre and Guadalajara was the same as between London and Beijing. <laughs> so it's not kind of it's not like heading over to Italy or heading over to France, you know. And that's before you take big... into account the fact that Porto Alegre is by the sea and Guadalajara is about two thousand nine hundred meters. And the fact they're in yeah. different hemispheres, you know. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I think that makes it very difficult and. You know, obviously, then distances are probably one of the most extreme. But you could be going from playing in intense heat in Brazil to playing up in the mountains in Ecuador to playing, you know, know, God knows where in the desert in Mexico, all in the space of a few weeks. So, to be able to do that and to put a league team out every um, every week, it's it's asking a lot. A double would be would be quite standard. And much as I mean, I I certainly wouldn't ever say that the the clubs, sorry, the the national sides or the clubs in D two play their home matches at high altitude should be not allowed to do so but equally people who say it doesn't make any difference are uh, yeah. uh, kidding themselves I mean talking about Quito as we were like that also yeah, had yeah. A, big, a big part in their success because they play in Quito obviously which is I think 2,800 metres above sea level so yeah it's going to make a it's going to make a difference if they have a half decent team you know yeah do, I'm wondering whether any of the three of us with uh with our vast knowledge of the Brazilian football, and in particular the players of Goiás and, and the, the kind of uh, conditions that, that the game's going to be played in, in Goiás tomorrow, um, uh, brave enough to, to try and predict a result of the final. Let's, let's, let's say a winner of the Copa, so it, the final of course is played over two legs, so not necessarily tomorrow night's result. But. 
Uh, well, yeah, I can see the the first leg going one uh, nil to the to the Brazilian team, and uh, a three one victory for Independiente at home. You see, I was actually uh, watched last night's Barcelona Real Madrid match uh, in the pub around the corner from from my house with Australian down, and at one point he opined to me about the um, the accents that you can hear on this podcast, <laughs> and said that he felt he needed possibly elocution lessons. Because he feels that talking with an Australian accent about football doesn't have quite the same gravitas as, as myself and Dan Edwards who are able to talk with English accents about. Well, just listening to myself back on you know when listening to the podcast, I, it doesn't. I just don't sound like I have any kind of authority at all. Because it, whenever I've listened to experts talk about football, it's always been with a British ac- accent. Of course. Preferably a Cockney accent or you know like a Liverpudlian accent. Or, yeah, yeah cheeky chappies. Right. Um, <laughs> But I think another reason that English pundits often sound slightly more learned is that we're not stupid enough to try and predict scorelines. <laughs> <laughs> we merely go. Hey, hey, wait, wait, wait to see what happens. I might even have a bet on that. Those those numbers I just gave. Yeah. I would I would recommend all our listeners to bet probably re- bet your rent money on the, on those results. So it was, that was one nil to Goyas at home and three one to Independiente. These are Daniel Collins' <laughs> betting tips. And if it doesn't come Hammer in, Pod. we can email you his address. Uh, any thoughts on it, Dan Edwards? I mean, obviously, my heart really wants Goyash to win, but I've got a horrible sinking feeling that Independiente are going to do it. And they're going to do it in their own stadium. They're all going to be going crazy like the Red Sons of Bitches are. <laughs> and, yeah, it's going to be... I'm sure I'll have to watch it for work, and it's, it's going to be painful to watch. Sure. I, I, I've got a feeling the second leg, which of course is being played in Avashaneda, um, could well prove to be the, the greatest night in this as yet unfinished stadium's history. Because uh, I think Independiente will win the Copa as well. Knowing absolutely nothing about Goyash at all, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to try and predict what tomorrow's result will be, but Independiente playing at home during the Sudamericana have always managed so far this season, obviously, well, obviously, to get the result then, because they've managed to get through to the final. So it sounds like a stupid thing to say. But I, I have a feeling that they're going to get the trophy. So on that note, we're going to leave you with uh, Bele Sarsfield beating Tigre by one goal to nil after 32 minutes and 57 seconds so far. Playing not at all unlike Barcelona did against Real Madrid last night. Passed the ball competently between themselves. Never putting it out for touch. Never seeing it bounce off them five yards into the distance. It's very, very unlike watching River Plate was on Sunday for me. Next week, I'm not entirely happy, I must say, to, to say that I'm flying home to England to visit my parents and friends for Christmas and New Year. That's not to say that I'm unhappy to be seeing my parents and friends, but I'd much rather be staying in Argentina. And as, as that's happening on Wednesday, we're not sure whether I'm going to have the time to do the production for the podcast on Tuesday. So there may or may not be a podcast next week, but in two weeks' time we'll try and do something over Skype and keep you all up to date with with the way that the championship is developing. For now, it's goodbye from me and goodbye from the dance. Goodbye. So shall we shall we touch on um, on Messi's problems with Barcelona? Obviously, not not being able to score in uh, in. A five-goal route. Uh, yeah, and it, it's now that makes it one match in a row that he's not scored. Right. So, do we think he's what? He's 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 too dedicated to the Argentinian national team, and he's not concentrating on Barcelona. Or? Yeah. Well, I mean, you cut him, and he bleeds Celestia Blanco, yeah. and White. You know, he doesn't. He, he doesn't, doesn't love the Barcelona. Uh, Barcelona blood. No, he's from Argentina, and I think that's coming across now. <laughs> it took some time to filter through, but uh-huh. it seems to be coming across.